from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. podcast damn that's hot i'm perry gruber hey this is mj and this is mark i like when you say mj thank you that sounds so much like more like you're a dj or something yeah mj the pj <laughs> mj the pj <laughs> speaking of pjs have you guys been listening to other podcasts lately i have i've been listening can we talk about that sure can we mark is it on my notes uh, yeah <laughs> Uh, Just I've for been, a second. Yeah, Which I've been PJ, PJ? PJ podcast? Pod, no, podcast no. jockey. Oh, oh, oh podcast oh, jockey. So it's supposed to VJ or, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, podcast jockey. What you listening to? Because I know you're not a huge podcast. Yeah, fan. I'm surprised too. No, but it's now my new obsession. Ooh. Oh. Uh-oh. Yes. I listened to all of S-Town. Yeah. Oh, that was both. a great one. Oh, that was really Wasn't great. Wasn't it good? Like, at this point, <laughs> I'm like... You haven't heard S Town? Like, oh my yeah. God. <laughs> like the only a, podcast you've ever listened to. <laughs> not exactly. Not exactly. Now, have you guys listened to Missing Richard Simmons? Yeah, I started to, and then Mark discouraged me because it was too market for you listeners. He's one of the people in this studio because um, it was too, he thought it was too uh, National Inquiry. Huh, it started getting a lot of press about, he basically wanted to be left alone. Yeah. And yeah. it wasn't that hard to find. So yeah, it was kind right. of fabricated. Yeah. But but I still heard it's a good podcast. It was really well done. Wise. Well, yeah. Yeah. yeah, production wise and yeah. content wise. Again, I just yeah. never realized a lot of the background information about Richard Simmons. Yeah. Like, you gain a whole new appreciation for how friendly for the he was yeah. and open, yeah. So then uh both seasons of serial. Oh yeah, well we're yeah. Yep. Of course those are like iconic. Yeah. Like yeah. and did you know the Bergdahl still has not been tried for uh, he still hasn't been tried. His his trial just got pushed out again, like two weeks ago. That doesn't surprise me. But Chelsea yeah. Manning's about to get out of prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I read that something about I think that that's yesterday. That's awesome. She needs to get out of there. Yep, totally. There's a couple of other ones that are. Was there another one that you're listening to that's inspiring? No, that's why I'm on the search for new ones now. Okay, you should listen to Radio Lab. Radio yeah. Lab has the the recent one. It's called Null and Void. It's about the nullificate jury nullification. Oh my god, it is so powerful. Mm. That episode is really good. And then This American Life, of course, is yes. fantastic. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's on my list. So too. last Monday, yeah, last Monday, I <clears> went <throat> to uh, the Aladdin Theater and saw six or seven podcasts live on stage. Oh, wow. It was part of the Radiotopia tour. So oh, it was cool. 99% Invisible, oh, The Illusionist, Serious, uh, Criminal, um, and others that I should be remembering. Wow. And too it was fun. fantastic. It was, you know, radio on stage. Yeah, right. it was yeah. Really absolutely done. fantastic. And then um, when, they did 99% of Visible was the last one of the evening mm. and they had a band backing them up. Oh. It was partially made up from members of the Decemberists. Oh, nice. It was pretty <laughs> nice. awesome night. Oh, there's one other podcast that you really ought to be listening to because it's fucking fantastic. Yes. The Tiny House Podcast. It's so amazing. The, the DJs on there or the, the PJs on there are freaking spectacular. They really know their shit. Except and they're I so heard funny. They're, they're, Sound equipment's way fucked yeah, up. Sound, oh yeah, that's true. Their sound engineer and the equipment they've got, it's like tin cans and a string, really. Yeah, I heard he started drinking. Really uh, that's part of it. And then it's also that <laughs> snorting that they do before the show. Jeez. 
But their show, the content's really good. I've been doing a ton of driving lately, you know, back and forth, you know, several hundred miles, uh-huh. 500, 600 miles every weekend. So, wow. So, podcasts. Oh, right. Yeah. So, podcasts now, now. Exactly. Better than radio. Much, much better than radio. I'm not getting yelled at by every uh, car dealership and mattress. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Out there. It's like you need a vacation or a getaway or something. I was just. Go- I fight on that shit. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. So you're looking for, so speaking of getaways. <laughs> Next page script. Exactly. <laughs> Our guest today is, um, <clears throat> can we use his last name or is it the other person? It's, yeah, it's the okay. next person that's, you know, John, hiding. <laughs> John. <laughs> Thankfully, these shows don't come out back to back. I'm just kidding. They do. Um, John Staff, who is the founder of this fabulous company um called getaway house getaway.house and um they're a tiny house hospitality company which is really what what i find really fascinating about them is they have this real modern take on tiny house exploration where people can we're gonna get deep into this what but where people can basically airbnb a tiny house out in the middle of the woods somewhere it might not be that, um, John. Don't hold me. Don't don't get mad at me for mischaracterizing your business. Um, they've been on Shark Tank. They currently have it looks like close to um, almost a dozen places where you can stay in New York in a tiny house, and then another few in Boston. And they're looking for other cities to populate with their with their fantastic approach. It sounds super awesome. Um, we've done a little bit of, well, at least I should say I've done a little bit of research. I think Mark has done some. Michelle, you probably know a little bit about it because you saw the Shark Tank episode. John, welcome to the show. Hi, everybody. Thank you. How are you doing? <laughs> really great. Thanks for uh, being silent <laughs> sure. until we introduced you. I'm <laughs> trying my PJ voice. Nice. Yeah, nice. Cool. Did I just quote a new phrase? Yes, you did. I think yeah. I did. A PJ. Podcast PJ. jockey. Exactly. MJ the PJ. Oh, now I need a new shirt. Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> and a new pair of boots. <laughs> so, 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 John, this is a really fascinating story. Um, as we've been doing this show, we're discovering an increasing trend of investors and entrepreneurs um, capitalizing on the tiny house market by offering tiny house hospitality in various uh, permutations. And so you're right along that, that uh, path. So why don't you describe what it is you do? Uh, Cause I'm sure you'll do a better job than I did. Well, maybe we'll find out. <laughs> um, so, so we're getaway. We, we design these tiny houses. Uh, we put them in nature just outside of the city and we rent them out by the night, you know, to stressed out folks looking to disconnect and recharge. So in a lot of ways, you know, it looks you know, like a hotel business, we have a, you know, house in the woods and the beds are made and all that kind of stuff. But the use case is specifically for, you know, what the city's great, but it's better if you get away from it. You know, technology is important uh, and a super powerful tool, but we can't be connected all the time. And, you know, work, we hope you love your jobs. I love my job, but you can't work all the time. It's bad for you. It's bad for your family. And it's, actually bad for your work if you don't disconnect. So, so getaway tries to solve that problem and say, Hey, for a night or two, you know, we're going to make it as simple as possible for you to just totally escape all of that and, and do nothing. And we go so far as it's, you know, quit working, quit being connected to technology, but also just quit like planning out your time off by minute by minute, just go sit in this beautiful house in the woods and stop doing things and see if you can do it. Do you, do you, you said you design, do you design and build these houses yourself, you guys yourselves? 
Yeah, so we designed them ourselves. So I linked up with uh, a few students from the Harvard Graduate School of Design uh, back when we started the company. And then we've had different builders build them over time. So the first builder was my dad. Uh, and then we had some hipster carpenters from uh, Boston <laughs> build them. And now we've got a couple of uh, outsourced builders that build them for us. Nice. So what's super fascinating about just the intro of this is I'm, I'm building a tiny house for hospitality specifically. And I go back and forth on just how far should I go to integrate entertainment? Like, should I put a, a TV in? Should I put Wi-Fi in? You know, do I put a library there? Um, so have you had any like pushback or, or what is everybody's perception of the fact that they literally are unplugged? Yeah, it's funny, you know, when you, I think with anything you start, um, in my case, you know, startup companies, you worry about all this stuff, right? And in my experience, all the stuff you worried about, you shouldn't have worried about. There's a, and there's all the stuff you should have worried about that you didn't. Mm. And this was one of them, this Wi-Fi question. So my buddy Pete and I, uh, who I started the company with, you know, said, you know, the real, you know, first business plan was, we just need to escape, right? And tiny houses seem cool and, and maybe we could afford, you know, to build one or buy one and, and we just want to put it in the woods and, you know, we want to be quiet and beautiful and we don't want to be connected to Wi-Fi. So we don't want to put Wi-Fi in it. But we worried a lot about, is that just too crazy, right? If we, you know, as we turn this into a business, are people going to revolt if there's no Wi-Fi? And here we are, two years later, 4,000 plus customers. We've never had a complaint about it. Yeah. And we've had all these love notes from people that said, thank you so much for no Wi-Fi. It was so great. And also my cell phone reception was pretty bad and that made me happy. <laughs> and so now we, now we put these cell phone lock boxes in and that's part of the getaway thing is like you, you know, you get in your car, you drive there, we give you a playlist to listen to on the way to get you in the mood you enter the house and there's a cell phone lockbox and, and we challenge you to lock up your cell phone for the, for the duration of your visit. So when you, when you, um, a couple of questions for you, the, have you, have you, what other companies have you started before and what did you, uh, how, how did you get the inspiration to start getaway? Yeah. So I did, um, startup companies between college and grad school in consumer products and technology. So one of them was this kind of crazy breathable foods company. Another one was a mobile app because those were cool at the time. And I was following the crowd and, um, and I helped a friend start another company. And, you know, one day kind of had that classic moment that everyone talks about, like when you get advice at graduation speeches or whatever, which is, you know, I kind of woke up and I said, okay, I've learned a lot. I've had a ton of fun, but like, these aren't like, I don't want to work on these things for, for 10 or 20 or more years of my life. And so I need to, you know, take some time to figure out what that is and uh, sort of counterintuitively, like, you know, startup people aren't supposed to go to business school is one of these like made up Silicon Valley rules, <laughs> but, uh, but went to business school specifically. So I could have like two years to figure out what is that company that like is, you know, going to be a good business, but aligned with who I am and what I care about that I can imagine working on for a decade or two. And I feel lucky that, uh, that that plan kind of worked because it wasn't obvious it was going to and um, came up with Getaway. And, you know, the reason for me that like, you know, that this is a company that matches who I am is, you know, I grew up in this really rural place, you know, northern Minnesota in a town of 54 people. 
it's now a town of 29 people, uh, which, which is sort of sad. Um, but it was easy to get away and have campfires and see the stars and all that kind of stuff. And, and then I moved to a stressed out college and stressed out city and that became harder. You know, so that was part of it. Part of it was my dad's a handyman. Like I said, he built our first house. My mother still works on the factory floor of a wood products factory. So I, you know, I like don't understand like VR and AR and IR or whatever these like artificial intelligence reality things are, but I understand how like building stuff works a little bit. And, uh, and so that was part of it. And the last part was I've just lived in all these, you know, small spaces, small weird spaces. So, you know, lived on Lake Superior, uh, for a long time, uh, opened a yogurt shop in college and lived in the basement. So we could take our, my buddy and I could take our scholarship money and put it towards Froyo machines, <laughs> uh, lived, lived surreptitiously in the library, the college library where we renovated the yogurt shop for three months, had my parents come for three weeks. They lived in the library. <laughs> so I did all that. And then, uh, and then later, right before I went to, uh, to grad school, I was just sort of lying to people. Not, you know, with ill intention, but I was just saying, I said, I'm going to go like live in an Airstream for five months because I was working remotely and uh, was lying because I wasn't doing anything about it <laughs> until, you know, you know how these things happen. Like a friend of a friend said, oh, I have an Airstream, why don't you take mine? So okay. went and picked that up in LA, <laughs> went, you know, traveled 8,000 miles around the West, pretended to work from my laptop and, uh, and discovered tiny houses on the way and said, okay, these, I get this, right. I get living life around experiences rather than stuff. Um, but I have this startup background. So how do I, you know, turn, turn this into a business? So you, so you turn, so just a quick departure, almost it, when I did a quick survey of the prop of the unit of the tiny houses that you're renting, all, almost all of them seem to be fully booked. So you're, you're having really cool success here. When, how did you get to doing your first one? Well, you know, it started, like I said, with my buddy and I saying, should we just have one of these for ourselves? And then said, why don't we, you know, maybe there's other people like us that, you know, don't want to go on a vacation to the Caribbean and spend all our money and time getting there. Don't want to be stressed out when we get there by seeing and doing a whole bunch of stuff. You know, maybe there are other people like that. Maybe there are, you know, other people that just want to skate for a night or two and be away from technology and stuff. So, so scrapped together a little bit of money um, from from some folks we knew to do three and uh, you know designed these three houses with with these uh, folks I mentioned from the graduate school of design and you know found land and the first land was I wrote to everybody on Craigslist that was selling land and I said I can't buy your land uh, but will you lease it to me and you know some folks said yes and I rolled some rolled tiny houses onto their land and built a website on WordPress and, and, you know, was sort of paranoid, right? A paranoid, you know, we still have in the company this sort of functional, hopefully functional paranoia of what's going to kill us. You know, what, what are, you know, what are we, what are we missing? And, you know, as we launched those three houses said, well, we think this is cool, but like maybe, maybe no one's going to care. Right. Cause maybe it's just cabins. Um, not that, you know, not to dismiss cabins, which I think are magical, but, uh, uh, you know, maybe, maybe no one's going to cover it. No one's going to come. And, uh, and in fact, it's sort of the rest of history sort of story of like, you know, we sent out one press release and then, you know, here we are two years later, we've been fully booked almost never paid for marketing uh, and all that good stuff. When you had the, you had, so you cobbled some money from some friends to pay for the units, the, 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 I don't know why I'm having a hard time saying these things, what they are, these tiny houses. And then you put them on these properties, you, you lease the property, 
How what did you do about electricity and, and plumbing? Uh, so we yeah, initially started with solar because uh, we believe in it and we thought that would make it more flexible. Um, solar worked, you know, the, these units are, you know, two hours outside of Boston in the woods, right? Mm -hmm. Solar worked pretty good in August, did not work <laughs> so well in February. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, and I think we, we, we could figure it out. We still could still figure it out. But at that time, it's like, you know, we were fully booked. It's February in new England. Uh, and so we kind of, uh, pulled the ripcord and, and hooked up to the grid with electricity. You know, it's still pretty limited, right? It's yeah. lights and a water pump and stuff like that. Um, our water system is just like an RV. There's, you know, onboard tanks uh, that we fill up and empty um, and, you know, hot and hot and cold running water and all that kind of stuff. Shower. Interesting. And then it, it has, if the, are the properties that you're sitting on still up for sale or do you have like a long-term lease for that? Up, or did you parcel out a little piece of it or what? Yeah. Now we have long-term leases on the property. So, so effectively we control them. Mm. Uh, Can I interrupt yeah, you, Carrie? Yeah, sure. I'm just throwing out these <laughs> so, questions. Yeah, yeah. The, the other thing I'm curious about, given that every jurisdiction kind of has its different rules and regs, mm -hmm. is are are these kind of on bigger chunks of property where they're kind of pirates? In other words, does the city know about these, or is it zoned as like a hotel? Or yeah, no, they they do. So one of the things I like about the business, with the exception of the very first couple of months. Um, is, you know, we do ask permission, not forgiveness, you know, it's the opposite of most stuff coming out of, you know, Silicon Valley land, which you might've picked up on <laughs> being a little skeptical about. I'm going to um, get to that. <laughs> um, so, you know, we, you know, we, we find whatever land, you know, we pick a city, we find land and then we go into town hall or the county office or whatever. And we say, this is what we're up to. What do you want us to do? And, uh, make sure we have the permission, uh, before we operate. They don't ask you to file permits or to pay a fee or anything like that or create any other bureaucratic hoops? No, yeah, no, sometimes they do. So, and, okay. and then we have to go through that process. And that's okay. one of the, you know, that's one of the hard parts about the business yeah. is sometimes that's super easy. And it's like, you know, yeah. fill out this one page form, we'll stamp it, you're done. Sometimes it's like, fill out this form, we'll call you back in a year. <laughs> right. um, and that's just something we have to navigate around. Do you, do you limit how many, you can ask a question whenever you want, Mark. Do you limit, do you limit how many <laughs> houses, how many tiny houses in a particular piece of property you put, you put there? So what we do now is we'll take over, you know, a big tract of land and then we'll put some number on it, you know, and, uh, you know, rough numbers. We try to do one per acre mm. where, you know, everybody gets their own kind of private area, their own private sight lines, fire pit, Adirondack cherries, that kind of thing. Um, you can see the next ones in the distance and, you know, you can kind of compare one per acre to an RV park, which is typically 15 to 20 per acre. Yeah. So, you know, it we'll, would never be like that. Um, but you can see the next interesting. This is another thing that surprised me about the business because, you know, my version of this, my like best version of this is like, you know, helicopter for me to the backside of a mountain. I want to see like no people for five miles. Wow. But what we learn from our guests, because we get all these, I write everybody a, you know, personal feedback note after they stay and we get this incredibly rich, you know, these incredibly rich responses back uh, from people about, you know, their stays. And what we heard from a lot of people was, you know, once we started putting multiple on a plot of land is, you know, I liked that I had my own house that I could let myself in and out with the, my own key code, my own fire pit and all that kind of stuff. But I also liked that I could you know, see the light of the next one in the distance mm. as, as sort of a, you know, safety thing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it fits in 
started with our, most, a lot of our customers are coming from the city and um, many of them haven't spent that much time in the woods before. Mm-hmm. And this, this, this was apparent to us as we launched these things and, you know, there's a fire pit, firewood, fire ring, you know, every, the house is completely set up. You're not meant to have to bring anything. We even provide food so you don't have to stop at the store on the way if you don't want to. And, and there's also, you know, speaking of safety, you know, there's an emergency phone in the house. So, you know, the cell phone, cell phones don't typically work, but we find whatever, whichever network does work and we hook up a phone to hmm. um, that network. So you can call for help if you need to. And of course, call 911 uh, if you have to, but, but our phone number is also there for like almost emergencies. Hmm. And we got, hmm. you know, <laughs> when we launched, we would get these calls you know, you know, get more towels pretty late at night (laughs) and it would be, we're here. It's great. We love it. We're ready for someone to come teach us how to make the campfire. (laughs) (laughs) Business opportunity. That's a $250. It's sort of funny, but, but you know, a lot of people didn't before. So now we have instructions on how to make campfires, uh, in the houses. Nice. I've been writing instructions on how to use composting toilet. Yeah. Like a little, uh, Sort of, you know, an illustrated guide. Nice. Um, called no shit. <laughs> <laughs> Mark's full of them. I am. It's actually it's less shit, intuitive <laughs> than you would think, but I do have a question for our guests too. I know you're all shocked. Um, so I'm interested in your platform. Um, why did you decide not to go with the Airbnb or the VRBO uh, and leverage existing platforms? Why did you decide to launch your own? To make life more difficult. <laughs> uh, He's you. an entrepreneur, after all. <laughs> Thank you for being uh, honest. No, the the real an- no the real answer is the, the <clears throat> I'll give you both uh, the public answer and the honest answer, which which work together. <laughs> um, you know, the honest part of it is when we launched, we said, "Well, we'll put them on our own website. If they don't fill up, you know, we'll put them on Airbnb or whatever. If we have to fill uh, occupancy." And, you know, knock on wood, we've not had that problem yet. But as we've built out the company, we've become, you know, more and more committed to what was the kernel of an idea at the beginning that this is a wellness experience, right? And it was there as a kernel in the beginning when, you know, my buddy Pete and I were saying, like, we just want to go to the woods and disconnect and not have Wi-Fi. But that really is, you know, the beginning of what is now kind of an end-to-end wellness experience where it's, you know that starts on our website when you book it we hope that sets you know the mood for the experience we give you a playlist to listen to on the drive that's pretty you know, we, Ooh, nice. we you know you the way you enter the house is very important to us there's a note card waiting for you a handwritten note card there's another envelope that's sealed that says don't open this till you get home and that's got a little surprise for you when you get home you know the house is obviously core to that experience but but it's not the whole experience so now that we've made that set of decisions, we think we've created this really special thing that stands apart from, you know, a hotel or Airbnb or a resort or, or whatever else. You definitely have. So, so the, this at, at the, on the ground at these houses where, um, just give me real quickly, what's the average parcel size? If you're doing one per acre, what are we looking at? Parcel? Yeah, tw- you know, we've got everything in our pipeline, everything from 20 acres to 580 acres. Jesus. Okay. 580 acres would never do 500 houses, obviously. <laughs> right, but, right, but. right. Okay. So, so on the ground in each of these locations, who's doing all the work like chopping wood and setting it up beautifully so it looks, so it adds to the experience and who puts the note card at the door and the bears. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. So we have, a, we, have a, we hire teams, uh, you know, just like you know uh, any hotel would. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a site manager, assistant site manager, people that that turn these things over. So, you know, and that's something we've worked very hard at, right? Like in the beginning, it was you know, uh, operationally, it's it's pretty difficult yeah. to provide a, a special magical experience to every guest, and so we've invested in that, and we've invested it, you know, in that in terms of you know hiring people full time and part time on our staff. You know, not not contractors. Um, you know, writing the SOPs, investing in training, uh, all that kind of stuff to make sure we can deliver that every time. Because you know, it's like, yeah, it's fun for us because you know we get we're on CBS News or we're in Chats Company or we do Shark Tank or we're selling out or we're getting investment. But like, you know, when we open in Des Moines or like you know house number one thousand, if like it's full of ants, they nobody gives a shit. Yeah. Uh, like we've got a bunch of press or whatever. Yeah. So that's what we're working very hard on. And we've made a ton of improvement on and, you know, get super um, positive feedback from guests now. And so the trick is just how do we, you know, continue growing, um, you know, get, get away and, and maintaining that level yeah. of, you know, operational, I wouldn't say perfection, but close to perfection that, that we've worked hard to achieve. How big is your, is your, your team? Uh, Including the people on the ground. Yeah, so fourteen, including including the field staff. And how much investment have you received to date to fund this operation? Uh, oh, close to seventeen million in total. Wow! Did that come in after Shark Tank? Uh, the the majority of that did come in after Shark Tank. Yeah. Was Shark Tank a good uh, for you? Yeah, a good kind of. Did that help facilitate that? I think they call it the Shark Tank effect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I mean. Not really, kind of. Yeah. Uh, not really. It was kind of a risk, right? Because mm-hmm. I, I have to be careful now what I say. But, sure, sure. Um, Chris, hang, hang on a second, John. It's, what, it's like what, it's a reality show, right? Sure. So, well, you want to make it real. <laughs> why did you want to be? Why do you want to be careful about what you say? I'm just curious. Oh, oh just so I don't get in trouble. The contractual who? obligations with Shark Tank. There's stuff are, you just can't say. Are yes. there things like that, John? Well, like I would like to gossip about, you know, some folks I met, but oh, I, um, I, I feel like that's not the best idea. I get so, it. Okay. Now I get it. Sorry, Thank you. sorry to be cagey, but no, it's okay. I'm uh, just curious. You know, it's funny. We did get some, you know, we got some investor interest from it. Um, and then, you know, but, but it was also just, you don't, we don't, we don't know what we're going to see, right. When it airs finally. Yeah. And so, you know, I thought it went okay. Curious to hear what you guys thought, but it, it could have been, you know, we could have looked like idiots. Maybe we did look like idiots. Um, no, you, you guys that, look that's great. That's a risk. That's I a mean, risk in the fundraise, right? Yeah, I think we're. It was a weird situation for us because the three of us are not only entrepreneurs, then we also have the tiny house thing. So we have kind of yeah. a look at both sides that most people don't. Yeah, yeah. And, and I thought you guys came across really well. Um, Lori was a little odd with her, like kind of I'm afraid to be in the woods kind of thing, but. That's probably typical of. That's some, Lori, though. Yeah, exactly. High maintenance, don't mess up my yeah, manicure, yeah. kind of a perspective. Well, I wonder. I wonder, given what John is is hesitant to say, I wonder how much of that was scripted. Like, well, oh, the female. Well, it's not really scripted. Thing. I don't think. I think it is natural reactions well, within okay. reason. Okay. You, they just have an hour's worth of shit to edit out to get down to that little eight minute yeah. segment. Uh, Chris, yeah, I, I think I can say that it's you know the reality part is pretty real. Oh, like you're out there, you know battling these people mm-hmm. uh, and trying to answer all their questions. So, you know, I don't doubt that 
Lori is actually, you know, somebody that doesn't want to go to the woods, doesn't mm-hmm. go to the woods, doesn't want to go to the woods, doesn't want to invest in a company that's about the woods. Right. And, 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 and that, work, that like works for me, right? Like, But if was, she did, though, was, she would be the one that's calling you at 2 a.m. Exactly. going, where's the button for the fireplace? <laughs> and, and the hair dryer, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> so, what, so I know Chris Saka was pretty interested and somebody else was too. Was it Cuban or who was it? Uh, Kevin. It was Kevin. Oh, that's right. Kevin, which struck me as odd because yeah, he is so hyper conservative, yeah. but maybe the idea of it being, you know, dirt and walls or something. I don't know. Did, did any of them reach out to you afterwards to chat? Yeah, I was emailing uh, with Chris a little bit and he's been supportive. Um, unfortunately, he's just retired from investing. Yeah. Oh. I didn't realize what a big deal he was, right? I, uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I got like a, I guess I'm just like not plugged in enough, but all my like Silicon Valley bro friends afterwards were like, dude, like Chris Saka. um, I didn't realize he was such a like folk legend to the San Francisco set. So Um, John, sorry, sorry to interrupt you. I I just have, I just want to, I want to, now I want to get to the question that I wanted to ask you before about your perspective on Silicon Valley, because it's just dripping out of their tone of voice when you're talking about Chris Saka. Not that it's personal to Chris Saka, but what is your experience of Silicon Valley? And and I mean, I don't have I don't have any any investment or or predilection no. in any either way. So I'm just curious, why are you where where do you come from on your perspective of Silicon Valley? Yeah, two things, and you know, preface with it's not all bad, right? Like of every course. industry has good and bad, every culture has good and bad, and but but over the last you know decade or so, and I think this is kind of changing. We've just put Silicon Valley on this pedestal or they put themselves on this pedestal yeah, as, you know, the hero, the heroes that, that have slayed wall street and will lead us to the promised land or something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I guess my critique is twofold. One is an entrepreneur and one is like a member of society, <laughs> you know, as, as an entrepreneur, the thing I sort of take pause at is, you know, there seems to be this, uh, predefined set of rules that are unbreakable, which you could call a dogma, right? It's like, you can start this kind of company, not that kind of company. You have to raise money in this kind of way, not that kind of way. Um, there, you know, there's, there's one right way to do everything and one wrong way to do everything. And, you know, guidelines are good and best practices are true and there's truth in all of them, but, but it's sort of packed backed with this punch of like, you know, if you don't do the, it this way, then you're clearly an idiot and, you know, we shouldn't bother wasting our time, you know? And, uh, so that I sort of, and, and that, that's kind of personal to this company, right? Because, you know, quote unquote, like Silicon Valley doesn't support people that, you know, build, th- build walls and, uh, you know, acquire dirt, uh, mm-hmm. to use your words. Um, and so kind of was a, you can't, it can't be done sort of a company. And yet here we are still alive. Um, so that's part of it. And then, you know, the, the cultural thing is just, and I think a lot of the people, the participants in this in Silicon Valley are, you know, object to it, but they've built this machine that is responsible for connecting us ever more to work and screens and technology, and it can't be stopped, or at least it's, uh, not easy to stop without active, you know, effort. And I don't mean to sound like a Luddite because, you know, here I am, I'm, you know, talking to you on my, you know, laptop from Brooklyn and all that kind of stuff. But it, it is bad for us, right? And the science is coming around and showing that, you know, millennials have more senior moments than senior citizens because of our constant connection. Wow. Kids are coming out and saying, 
you know, their parents can't stop working when they get home. Um, you know, 60% of families say that, you know, they can't, um, you know, they're, they're, the, the technology and work is ruining their family dynamic or hurting their family dynamic. You know, and you see like all these Silicon Valley leaders putting their kids into tech-free schools, you know, schools without computers and without iPads. So um, that's kind of Silicon Valley created that. And I think Silicon Valley has to reckon with that um, if we're going to survive uh, with our humanity intact. Well, it's interesting that you say Silicon Valley people are putting their kids into schools without technology and they are the only ones that can probably afford to do that kind of thing because those schools, I presume, are pretty expensive mm. to be in there. But the kids who aren't in those areas ha- are trying to catch up with STEM education and so all of them are forced in front of the screen to do those kinds of things. Right. That's right. Yeah. So I, very recently, I was uh, at a tiny house event and someone had asked me, they said, where do you think the tiny house movement is going or how long is it going to last? Or is this just a fad or is the bubble going to burst? And my answer to them was definitely had to do with the zoning and the legality. And I feel like there's this huge dam of demand that as soon as some of these zoning and regulations get cleared up, right? There's going to be this huge onslaught of customers that are now, yay, now I can go do this with permission. Mm. So it's interesting to me, I just want to make a couple comments about your business model because you're betting on the success. Are you, do you think like, do you think of yourself as a tiny house person? Are you betting on the success of tiny houses in general um, with someone else's money granted, but are you betting on the success of the overall tiny house movement and the success of it? Because you know, your average Joe Schmo that wants to buy a tiny house, they're certainly not. Yeah, I, uh, I am betting on simplicity as a force, a cultural force that isn't going to go away. Yeah. Um, and tiny houses are part of that. Yeah. And I hope will become a bigger part of that as regulations change. And of course, with, you know, regulations changing uh, come changes in financing. So, yeah, if there's a world where somebody can buy a tiny house for, 30, 50, 70 grand and finance it like a regular house. I think there's going to be, and put, you know, put it somewhere legally and live in it. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of demand for that, I think. Um, but, but those are big ifs that go into that statement. And so, you know, our company is a little bit about, you can, you know, experience a tiny house, test drive a tiny house and a lot about, you know, you need to find balance. You need to simplify. It's really important for you. Uh, it's important for your family. It's important for your work. And uh, we hope you find that in many facets of your, wi- your life. And we hope there are many companies and, you know, civic uh, organizations and nonprofits that help you do that. We hope we're not the only ones. Um, but that's the one that I think definitely is going to stand the test of time and doesn't, you know, come with, you know, regulatory hurdles attached to it. That's a great twist on on what is to us an old story, but what is to most people a very, very new story. And that is embracing, you know, like you said, downside, simplicity, unplugging, and just the tiny house just becomes one form, one very cute form, but one form of doing that. Mm-hmm. So um, it's also interesting to me that in the, in the tiny house movement, there are sort of four different segments um, of people that are making money or making businesses. Um, you and I seem to have landed in the same one, and that is the hospitality section or a segment of it. I've struggled with whether or not I want to bootstrap all my builds and pay cash for them or whether or not I want to go out and borrow a bunch of money and build more and make money faster. 
But that perspective is just basically um, under the assumption that, you know, there is an end to this. There is a potential end to the, to the demand. So if you had advice for me, um, what piece of advice I'm starting out is just me and two tiny houses. So if you have some advice for me, what would that be? Oh, oh, yeah, so many things to say. Uh, it's a little, I'm like flashing before my eyes or the last two and a half years of working on this. You know, I think it depends on what you want to get out of it, right? So there's a different business I could have built, which would be like, you know, a small to medium sized cash flowing business. And when I say that, I don't mean to be dismissive because some, some days it's very tempting. Um, I took the other path, which is, you know, let's we think we've created something really special. We think it has real value to people's lives, that it's not a frivolous thing to do, but important. And, you know, we want to go out and raise some money and, and make it as big as possible. But, um, but I, I could have continued on the, like scrapping together a little bit of money and have, you know, five, 10 of these and um, have a nice kind of you know side hustle out of it. So I think that's the first thing to decide. And then, you know, and then the rest is blocking and tackling, you know, what kind of experience do you want to provide to your guests? How are you going to provide it consistently? Um, and have a good time. I don't know if that's helpful, but that was really awesome. Actually. No, that is really helpful. I think it's, I think it's at the beginning of any endeavor, whether it's of course starting a business or even starting a tiny house, I think there's a lot of introspection, uh, involved in, in not necessarily a business plan, not the block and tackle of a business plan, but there's a lot of introspection um, I think the more um, more closely you can identify, do sort of self-identify what your plan is, I think it makes it easy to accomplish because it becomes more clear. Does that make sense? I sound like I'm rambling, don't I? No, you don't. Oh, okay. Never. I mean, when I was, in, uh, <laughs> when I was in, in business school, they had, you know, this phrase lifestyle business. I don't know if that's widely used or not. Yeah, but, it is. You know, and it was... Uh, a lot of people would use it as a sort of derogatory term, right? Oh, that's a nice lifestyle business. It's like, well, a lifestyle business is a business that pays you a lot of money to work not very hard. <laughs> and I don't think that it's not obvious to me that that's like a bad option in life. Well, so, that's kind of my plan. I mean, I'm going to hire people to turn them over as well. I mean, my plan is that I would, I would have rentals that are still going to make money when I'm not around at all. Mm -hmm. um, I think lifestyle business as a pejorative is a, is a, is a uh, perspective that comes out of Silicon Valley, predominantly out of the investment world where investors are expecting these huge returns and you just can't get that from a lifestyle business. Well, and that's one of the swats that uh, when you got swatted in the nose at uh, Shark Tank, it's like, oh, it's a lifestyle business. This can't scale. This can't grow, blah, yeah. blah, blah. It's like now you're in a great position because you got 17 million in the bank, 20 units, and now you get to prove them wrong. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Well, congratulations on, on building. Thank a you. Yeah, congratulations on building a fantastic um, business, John. It's it's uh, it's been awesome hearing from you. I think looks like Michelle has one more question. She's raising her hand, yeah. Michelle. Yeah. Oh, you need to go to the bathroom. Ooh, go ahead. Yes, or Shaq. So, are you coming to the Northwest? We're here in Portland, Oregon. We've got lots of land around us. I'm pretty sure that. Uh, but are you are you coming to the West Coast at all? What are your um, what does the next year um, mean for you? Yeah, we hope to. Um, we're looking actively. We've got land kind of in the pipeline all around, but nothing uh, to announce yet. Um, but hope to be on the West Coast very soon. And if you have uh, leads in Portland, let me know. Mm. 
And uh, I can give you one kind of special thing. I know it doesn't help you on the West Coast, but literally like in three minutes, we're going to send out a press release mm-hmm. that we're doing uh, a partnership uh, with the National Park Service in New York City. <gasps> and we're going to do three tiny houses on the beach looking over the ocean mm-hmm. as a pop-up thing for Memorial Day to Labor Day. Oh, that's beautiful. So awesome. That's really awesome. That is so really we're cool. excited about that. Well, that's fantastic. It's it. Uh, you want to? Well, never mind. So thank thank you very much, John. Yeah. I, I want to get to the listeners now. So, um, so listeners, we really appreciate you checking out the Tiny House podcast. And if you're if you're a regular listener, we really appreciate you listening to all the episodes that you're listening to. We would really love to hear from you. So if you have a moment, send us a message. Tell us about your favorite podcast. Yeah, I mean, well, your second favorite, I obviously mean. <laughs> <laughs> and you can send that to... I, I think if you go to tinyhousepodcast.com, oh, there you, you go. can fill out the, the form contact. there and, awesome. and send us a message. Or I do have a shout out, however. Some people contact me personally. So shout out to Polly. Thank oh, you very much you for, your, for your communication. Thank you very much for your compliments. Um, thank you very much for being a, a, a listener. Yeah, thank you, pa- Pauline. Polly. Polly. P-O-L-L-Y. Awesome. And uh, if in listeners, if you know of any anyone that we have not interviewed that you think would be a very interesting um, guest, please let us let know us that. Know. Let us know that. Yeah. Uh, okay, that's it. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week when we'll be talking with an equally fascinating guest as John and Getaway has been. John, thanks for being with us. Thank you. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Namaste. See you on the flip side. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if we remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Main. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sightcast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. You tiny house-loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon. <laughs>